Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to comic book writer, podcast and organiser of the terrific True Believers Comic Festival, Stuart Mulrain, about what comics he would take into the apocalypse. But before we get into it, again I just wanted to say thank you to everyone that has supported my most recent Kickstarter, Project Hoax. As I speak, we've unlocked four of five stretch goals at 170% funded and only £150 to go until we reach the final stretch goal. If you like the idea of an all-ages horror comic that takes you back to growing up in the 90s, be sure to check out Project Hoax on Kickstarter or follow www.signalcomics.com forward slash hoax. Now without further ado, on with the show. Hello Stuart Mulrain, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, good, good. It's been a busy day of work. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to be uh, back on the uh, on the interwebs, talking to some comic friends, which you are. So thanks ah. very much for for being here today. <laughs> it's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Oh, oh it, it takes an apocalypse. It's a pleasure. But... <laughs> yeah, it takes an apocalypse, but we get there in the end. Well, maybe that's what it's going to take to bring this world together an apocalypse. Well, we're not far off it. So. No, we're getting there slowly but surely. We're we're, we're aspiring to it. So. Well. It's nice to have a goal. Isn't it? <laughs> oh dear. Uh, well, as I say, uh, thanks for being on Comics for the Apocalypse today. No, thanks for inviting it's, me. It's, a re- oh, it's quite alright. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, and of course, I know who you are. Uh, but for the listeners that don't know who you are, what do you do in the world of comics? Uh, I am one of those posers that stands on the sidelines and uh, basks in the glory of creativity by setting up a Comic Con and running the True Believers Comic Festival. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe that for a second, Stuart. <laughs> um, you are like in the in the forefront of uh, of UK comics with with True Believers and and all of the art that you post on social media and everything as well, um, and your your podcast as well. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's a real pleasure to to have you on. Um, for for the listeners that don't know, uh, True Believers, as you say, is a is a comic con uh, in the in the west of England, um, and it's fantastic. Um, yeah. I've been there once as a punter and once as an exhibitor, and I'm hoping to to be an exhibitor next year as well. Let's see, these bribes pay off. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. that's what it's about. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's a once a year event. Uh, we used to do it twice a year, but we sort of scaled back to focus on the stand, the uh, main one again. Mm. Um, we only did the second one as a sort of filler while Melksham was off, but then Melksham finished completely. So we tried it again for a second year, but it was just too much work. And I'd rather focus on one being really good than having two and sort of burning myself out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because it is, it's a lot of work. Um, because you guys do it, do an absolutely sterling job with it, um, with with everything from kind of the exhibition space itself to the workshops and the cosplay. Um, you know, it's it's an epic undertaking. Yeah, well, I mean, we basically tried to put on the kind of con we'd want to go to, kind of thing, and then hopefully people like it. <laughs> oh, they do. Of, you yeah, you got to yeah. do what's best for you, kind of no, thing. Never heard a bad word about tree believers, Stuart. You should you, be very. You haven't proud. spoken to my wife. So. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> That's maybe the one person uh, that that doesn't like it. No, she lives with it all year round. So. Yeah, <laughs> but 
but yeah no it's um it's great fun like i said or sort of get to bask in the creativity of others and it's such a great community to be a part of that it's sort of amazing that it's the communities embrace the event the way they have yeah and, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly i feel like it's a mainstay um of, of, of uk indie comics certainly um and i hope it's around for many years to come yeah so do i i mean there's there's days where you kind of want to just chuck the towel in and walk away but then mm. you remember the reason why you're doing it and uh it makes it all worthwhile kind of thing at the risk of being sappy <laughs> <laughs> that's quite right being it's been emotional mate and uh yeah it's uh, it's good to be emotional i think um a little bit and kind of come to reflect on on your achievement so as i say you should be very proud thank you i am <laughs> good um excellent and uh where can people find uh, you and true believers uh they can find me online um uh, i'm on facebook twitter and instagram with my drawings and inane banter um mm. if they search Stuart thinks he can draw on all those platforms I'll f- i should come up um <laughs> or i'm at token nerd on twitter and true believers is okay true believers on facebook twitter instagram um not sure where else we are and we've got the website which is oktruebelievers.com which will link to everything else like the mailer and the podcast and all that stuff awesome and hopefully this will be going out um as uh exhibition applications uh kind of open uh so if you are uh, a creator uh, definitely go to oktruebelievers.com and uh you'll be able to apply to to be a uh, an exhibitor yeah so yeah it should all be up on the site uh like i say yeah depending on when this goes out around may sort of time yeah about then so um, and uh i do you have a date for next year yet yes we're always the first saturday in february so it should be Amazing. the first i think next year oh great so we always felt it was important to sort of pick a date and stick to it because nice. otherwise you get that thing it's like when's such and such this year yeah <laughs> And then, and then you plan to be at Jury's Inn again? Yes, yeah. Uh, it worked well this year. We got a couple of things to iron out. So, But I think for what we want to do and where the event's at at the moment, it's the right size for what we're trying to do. So sort of the state of the industry at the moment, certainly with the amount of conventions and that, I think it's important to adapt to survive and then yes. grow back up to what, you know, organically rather than forcing it. Yeah sure um but no it was it was a great event this year and uh yeah i i sold out <laughs> um, you did i went to buy one towards the end of the day and yeah, sorry <laughs> dude. your table had gone you'd done a runner <laughs> sorry, mate. um yeah um it was a it was an epic event uh for me and um yeah, yeah it was great um, i think it's my favorite of the ones we've done i think because yeah. the venue was so much smaller i was so much more relaxed about it all yeah after the initial panic about changing to a new venue because it's a bit like starting fresh it all becomes an unknown quantity again kind of thing but yeah. but it worked really well and had a really nice nostalgic vibe for the way comic cons used to be kind of thing nice yeah yeah in kind of well just in hotel function rooms basically and yeah that's it kind of rough and ready <laughs> that's it everybody there with a purpose and buy-in and talking and just generally soaking it up and being creative so yeah exactly because i mean the thing with true believers is that it's it's people that have got their finger on the pulse of comics basically yes. in the uk and it's um punters that are ready to buy indie comics essentially because you go to some comic cons like larger ones and you know a lot of the 
uh, punters. You know, they they don't know about this world. Basically. No, that's it. It's, it's easy to <laughs> get distracted to by celebrity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By kind of the the second person in the background in Game of Thrones and things like that. Yeah, or the uh, you know briefly fuzzily in the background of a Star Wars film, kind of. Yeah, exactly. And you know, more power to those things, and more power to people if that's what they enjoy from cons. But it's just yeah. not my sort of thing, so it's not what I want to do in an event. Exactly. Um, but uh, moving on from all that, um, I've got some breaking news for you. Um, there's actually been a robot uprising um, that's just just literally happened, um, and some super intelligent robots um, are now taking over the entire planet, and we've fallen into a robot apocalypse. Uh, so my first question for you is, what is your action plan for survival? Uh, well, I'm assuming that they're all sort of AI savvy, connected to the internet, so I just disconnect yeah. all devices. Yeah, straight I up. smash them up. I don't think my kids will survive because they're just glued to tablets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, say goodbye to the family. <laughs> uh, gather up all my analog stuff and sort of laugh at all the people who got things digitally. <laughs> and uh, pack myself off to a cabin in the woods and just sort of hide out till it all blows over. Paddle my own canoe kind of thing. <laughs> nice. So I'll probably last about a day before I starve to death. <laughs> I reckon you'd surprise yourself and uh, you'd be a pretty good hunter, I reckon, Stuart. <laughs> See, I'm not sure I could kill anything, so I just have to survive off of the land. But... Yeah. Or oh, well, you, you could... hunter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you could, you could definitely um, kind of ransack um, abandoned supermarkets and things and uh, have can, canned food and all that jazz. That's it. Well, I'm pretty sure my wife will get there. She'll be like, have you got the supplies? And she'll be like, yeah. She'll be like, this is full of comics. I'll be like, yeah. She'll like, where's the food? <laughs> well, I got the essentials. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's what I thought she meant. Precisely. Fortunately, she's pragmatic, so she can deal with all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your wife's dealing with all of the, um, with all of the actual <laughs> living essentials, <laughs> but you managed to grab a load of comics. I brought the entertainment. Yeah, precisely. Um, and you were kind of quite specific in your choices of, of what comics you actually uh, grabbed. And um, the first comic that you grabbed to put in your in your backpack um was the first comic that you remember enjoying uh which is uh well sort of it's not a specific one but as a kid i used to buy all the marvel uk transformers and action comics or not all of them it used to be when my dad would take us up to merits or whatever the news agents around the corner was mm-hmm. um you know to shut us up he'd spend 30p on a comic or whatever it was and uh used to pour over those for hours drawing copying the pictures from it, reading them, rereading them, folding them up, chucking them in my pocket, taking them to school, swapping them with friends, that sort of thing. So, yeah, sort of all the Marvel UK stuff. And uh, I might be misremembering, but I'm sure Transformers used to have like an Iron Man story in the back as well. Oh, cool. And uh, so you had some of the, they tag in a couple of Marvel character comics as well. There's a little bit of bonus content kind of thing. So sort of that was my first sort of exposure to comics and like i say it wasn't collecting it was just you randomly gotten when your parents went shopping if you were lucky kind of thing yeah exactly so it was a bit hit and miss in terms of whether you actually got a full storyline through that's it yeah i don't think i ever got a full story but from what i remember of them as a kid they were some of them were quite dark i may be completely oh, yeah. misremembering but i'm sure they didn't hold back dark. on yeah they didn't hold back on killing off characters you loved no 
It's like I distinctly remember one where Starstream's got Megatron's gun on his arm and he sticks it in Grimlock's mouth and just blows him away. Oh my god. Yeah. And I must have been about four or five. Well, no, I was probably older by then, so about seven or eight. Just kind of like, ah. yeah, like, oh my god, his head's just been blown <laughs> off. And that's the thing, right? So, like, when there was kind of like the comic code type stuff um, and uh, Transformers, was it violence was okay in Transformers because it was robots? Yeah, right? that's and that, it. Like, in an adult's head, that makes sense. But when you're a kid, like, these characters, they're. They're they're real, <laughs> and they're they're just as as real as as people in comics. That's in it way. as well because you had the toys of them. You'd watch them on TV, and then it's kind of like you're just watching them being killed off willy nilly. And then you know yeah. it did prepare me for the movie at least. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah, where there was the genocide <laughs> of <laughs> that was just complete bloodbath of an old toy line. <laughs> <laughs> Which as a cynical adult, I realised what they were doing. But as a child, I was like, no, I ain't hide. <laughs> That was brutal. Like he, he isn't he like clambering on Megatron's yeah, leg, like, and then he's, Megatron he's just points just down like, and he no. just blows his head off. <laughs> it's like Jesus, and then he's got things like Wheeljack is just dragged in as a dead body. Like he was a main character. <laughs> My God, they went all out, didn't they? Um, incredible. And then you were so you drew these comics as well, like copied them. Yeah, sort of in that rudimental way you do as a child, kind of thing. Sure. And um, yeah, and that, and I used to get like odd Superman ones and Batman ones, and uh, that sort of thing. I used to copy those as well. And then as I got a bit older, I started buying some collected editions. So I had like the Box Tree UK reprint of the Greatest Joker stories ever told. Oh right. Which I poured over that because that was a great book because it had Batman from every era kind of thing. Mm. So I used to mimic the '60s sort of style, the simpler nice. drawing, just the line across the chest for the chest, that sort of thing. Right. And uh, yeah, sort of developed a style of sorts from that. And uh, yeah, add some Neil Adams stuff in it and that sort of thing. So you can sort of progress drawing wise by seeing how Batman progressed through the decades, kind of thing. And uh, so yeah, that was sort of my go to comic that I kept. And then I just picked up odd issues of different things until I became a collector. Amazing. And then uh, the next uh, comic in your collection uh, that you think of uh, grabbing to put in your backpack is the funniest or the comic that made you laugh out loud the most. Um, I was torn on this one because as a kid, my granddad used to share, used to cut out and keep Calvin and Hobbes from the newspaper. Classic. So that was sort of my earliest exposure to funny comics. And then through that, I got into Garfield and I used to keep them all in a scrapbook. But probably the comic that makes me laugh and still makes me laugh to this day is too much coffee man by shannon wheeler <laughs> i hadn't come across this but it, but i kind of read it read a bit of it and it's uh, and it's really funny it was one that the guy in it was the third comic shop i started to go to so he had a heyday in gloucester of about three comic shops um and he was the last man standing for a bit and uh yeah he recommended it to me because he'd been reading it and i was just out of curiosity asked him what it was and yeah he handed me a copy knowing full well that the addict in me would get it slapped onto my pull list and <laughs> and yeah that sort of opened the door to the wider world of comics beyond dc marvel and the licensed stuff so things that tied into tv and film kind of jobs um but yeah it's great it was like three parts of a story in each issue right. um so you had a too much coffee man one which was the out and out comedy then you had sort of a 
romantic drama kind of one for want of a better way of describing it about a guy who's broken up with his girlfriend kind of thing sort of a slice of life thing and then you had one that was a version of shannon wheeler creating the too much coffee man comic photocopying it in a all-night photocopier place and stapling it together at home and then selling them in his local comic shop (laughs) and that was sort of the first book that made me realize that maybe making comics is a possibility kind of thing oh that's cool because there was no sort of, or the, you know, there was small press, but it was, wasn't on my radar at that time. Yeah. Because Comic-Cons weren't like they are now. The community isn't like it is now kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, that was sort of, because it always seemed like an alien world. Like, reading the letters pages and seeing that stuff got sent to New York. Just being like, I don't even know how you'd write to New York. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how does that happen? <laughs> so, it just all seemed so alien. Now, in the age of the internet, people are just kind of like, well, you just email. <laughs> But back in then, the idea of posting a letter to New York just seemed like an alien possibility kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it sort of made me realise that it is possible to do a comic if you want to do that sort of thing. And, you know, toyed around with the idea and that sort of thing. But, yeah, absolutely love it. It's hilarious. It's one I continually go back to. It's sort of that when I'm feeling a bit down kind of thing. Oh, nice. It's my comfort comic kind of thing. That's it. So. Strong uh, cup of coffee. Um, yeah. And uh, were, there, were there any particular uh, stories within that that kind of, you know... There's a lot of the Too Much Coffee Man ones. There's some one-shot ones that's like Too Much Coffee Man runs out of coffee, so he's just running in screaming, douses himself in petrol, sets himself on fire, and then runs off screaming. And he's got two guys being like, is that Too Much Coffee Man? He's like, yeah, I hate that guy. <laughs> it's just little guys like that. And there's one that's just a picture of Central Park and a guy running off with a wallet. And it's too much coffee man in New York. And then if you look closely, you can see his legs sticking out from behind a bench. <laughs> but there's that. And then there's strips like um, too much coffee man versus um, trademark copyright man. <laughs> and uh, it's just it's really stupid stuff, but it's just really funny and cleverly done. Um, I'm a big fan of Shannon Wheeler. He does a lot of New Yorker cartoons now as well. Um, and he's a really nice guy as well. I've spoken to him a couple of times online. Hey, cool. Because uh, he's one that I'd love to get across for True Believers, but I'm not sure how big his following is over here. That <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it'd be for me more than anybody else, kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah, specifically for you. That's it. <laughs> just, just you and him in a in a large hotel function room. <laughs> but although I've also found that you know you can't predict what reaction people are going to have to guess. You can get names yeah, that you think I mean. people are going to fall over, and then it's not that one kind of thing that they. It's just such a bizarre thing. You, you love what you love, I guess. And <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, it's, it, it must be difficult to tell what's going to work. Yeah, it is. But I mean, like I say, you just sort of go with what feels right. And sort of, you know, is within your budget. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the other thing, isn't it? Um, and uh, moving uh, emotions a little bit. Um, the next comic that you uh, that you grab for your... Uh, your survival backpack uh, is is the saddest or the most upsetting comic that you've ever read. Because the apocalypse wasn't upsetting enough, I yeah, need to exactly. bring myself down a little bit more. Um, <laughs> yeah, for this, I chose uh, Superman Funeral for a Friend, um, which is right. the middle part of the Death of Superman arc kind of thing. Yeah, um, It sort of starts from 75 Lois Lane's uh, like weary boxes that have gone the distance speech. Uh, that always sort of brings me close to tears anyway it's stupid every time i read death of superman i know he's gonna die but still when i get to that bit i still choke up a bit and um 
that's partly helped by in the 90s they did a bbc radio adaptation of it by dirt mags really and um laura like king who plays lois lane in it uh the way she reads it is how i hear it in my head now as well so just kind of choke up every time i hear that but funeral for a friend is sort of the forgotten part of that story whenever they adapt it they always sort of gloss over that world without superman bit Mm. and go from the death pretty much to burying him to the four supermen that came back in his place before superman um prime sort of came back kind of thing and um yeah it's just a really interesting look at the world without superman kind of thing and it's probably the the doomsday death of superman thing is the setup yeah i think a lot of people forget that it is just a setup it's yeah. six issues of two people punching each other kind of thing <laughs> uh, it's basically what it boils down to but that was the setup of funeral for a friend which is like I say it's just such a key thing and you get to see how people in clark's life deal with not clark not being around anymore those that know he was superman and those that don't um sort of it's very much a lois lane story as well because it's obviously her dealing with the death of the man she loves but not being able to show it because she was engaged to Clark Kent. So sort of there's few people she can turn to because there's still people that think that Clark is still alive out there somewhere he's just missing. And you've got that. You've got the Kents dealing with it, knowing that they couldn't go to Superman's funeral because they'd just get lost in the crowd. Yeah. So they just go out and bury some of his toys from when he was a child. Oh, and, uh, cool. It's just really heartbreaking, but it's sort of, it's the, like I say, it's the overlooked part of the story. Yeah. So, because obviously the, the kind of that doesn't get a, a light shone on it in terms. No, of it's like the two-part things. Death of Superman, Reign of the Superman film they just did just missed out the key bit. Yeah. They sort of had a funeral scene and then nothing. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, what are the consequences of that? Like the true consequences, not just like kind of like a short scene or something. You know, it's like full-blown consequences and. That's it. It's the impact and it's got. Reactions. Bibbo was saved by Superman once. He hasn't got any superpowers, but he puts on a Superman T-shirt and starts sort of like, you know, rescuing cats out of trees. And he gives a guy who's selling Superman T-shirts sort of making money off the death of Superman. Right. Tins him up. He's like, how can you do this? And the guy's like, look, I've got a family. I've got to feed. Superman saved my life once, but this is the only job I can get. He's like, you're coming to work in my bar. He was like, that's what Superman would do. That's what I'm going to do. It's just sort of like the positivity of such a tragic thing and the way it brings people together kind of thing. And yeah, and even with the way it looks at Lex Luthor dealing with the death of, you know, his greatest foe kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, the lack of challenge that he's got now and, you know, the mixed feelings of your mortal enemy being dead and knowing it wasn't at your hands. And it's like I say, it's just a really interesting look at, because I'm a big Superman fan anyway, so just on that level it's sad but yeah but powerful at the same time that's it and um, reflecting that superman was taken for granted both in the real world and within the world of the comics mm. sort of projecting that into a story that's interesting it's a ballsy move to run 12 or so issues without your mate title character in it oh yeah yeah massively because i mean they took a massive gamble in making people think that it was really gone because the comic stopped production for a bit after funeral for a friend wow to make people think that it was really done. Yeah, done and done. <laughs> so to really put the fear of God into people, which sort of now killing off a superhero is just a gimmick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, now that they've kind of gone through that first lot of deaths, 
then you can't do it kind of again. Well, that's it, because you had the inevitable yeah. thing of, ooh, they sold a lot of comics from killing Superman. Who can we kill? Exactly. So then they broke Batman's back and they did that. And, the, you know, in hindsight, you know, these things don't stick. But but even knowing it doesn't stick, it's still just a really good read. Yeah, yeah it's still very, very powerful. And um, as you say, kind of the, um, the actual consequences of his death and then kind of, you know, the fact that a lot of people took him for granted um, and... Um, yeah, what, and also the public thinking, what would Superman do? That's it, it's a great example of what Superman was, not what Superman does, Mm. in the impact that he had on people, you know, it's not about what he can do, it's about the idea of Superman, that he is the symbol of hope and light, and that's sort of where a lot of people go wrong, where they try and Batman up Superman a little bit, and Mm. give him a dark edge or something, and that's not what the character is. And sort of, if he's written well, you can do him as the big blue boy scout and do it really well. Mm-hmm. But I think the temptation is certainly like with the new Fifty Two and the Man of Steel film, is to give him an edge that he doesn't need, and you just you stop being Superman by doing that. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not dark in any way, shape, or form. He's firm but fair, but he's he's not dark. <laughs> no, that's it. And you know, he makes mistakes and that sort of thing, but. It's sort of when you think of Superman, you think of good. Yeah. You think of Christopher Reeve. You think of you know a friendly superhero that will kick your ass if he needs to. Yeah, exactly. But only as a last resort kind of thing. Cause, you know, he knows what he can do. And it's yeah, it's just like I say a really interesting way of looking at what Superman means to the world when he's not in it anymore. And yeah, doing a really good portrayal of what superman is without superman actually being in the story that's awesome amazing um and so uh changing gears um we uh you think to yourself what's the so you, now i've got the saddest and a funny comic um what's the scariest or most horrifying comic that i've read um just to get all of the emotions in there that's it, that's it. just now, to make that, sure cover all the bases now that i'm hysterical ball of tears on the floor <laughs> Um, comics I don't really find comics scary it's like I watch much with horror films there's some that I find creepy but I don't necessarily find them scary sort of things like The Exorcist Halloween there's elements of that that I find scary but it sort of never really worked on a page mm-hmm. from reading like horror comics and there's some that you're kind of like oh that's a bit creepy but for me with my list I decided to go back to when I first got into comics and sort of those milestones from the first 10 years of me reading comics. And the one comic that sort of gave me nightmares when I was about 16 or 17 wow. was Batman Contagion. Great. Which was, yeah, when was it? 96. So yeah, I must have been about 17. But it's basically a virus breaks out in, or a virus is let loose in Gotham City. And it's Batman trying to find the cure, trying to find the source, that sort of thing. And it follows different things. And there's one particular issue in it that's Huntress trying to find a student from her class. Okay. Um, like his, his family's all died and she's trying to, and then at the end she finds him in a helicopter, but he's already been infected. So she can't do anything for him. And it's this whole heartbreaking thing of like, you know, she's fulfilled her mission in that she's found him, but she can't actually save him. And you've got Batman sort of stood there like, this is what I told you until we find the cure and nothing else matters. You can't save any of them until we can save all of them kind of thing. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, virus things, 
that's probably my one biggest real world fear. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, I'm not keen on zombies, but I also know the likelihood of me being bitten by a zombie is pretty <laughs> slim. Pretty slim, but, you know, an infection of any kind. It's like, you know, the monkey from Outbreak or the uh, Steven Soderbergh film Contagion. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it, so that sort of thing. It's a possibility. That's it. And seeing it sort of in the world of superheroes and Batman kind of thing, where it's something Batman can't physically fight or outsmart. Yes. He needs to find, you know, he has to use his detective skills to find the cure kind of thing. And yeah, it's just a really sort of a person you look to look at to protect you can't actually protect you from this. So sort of piles on the helplessness of it all even more. Wow. So, but it's a it's a great read. But well, it was at the time. I don't know. I yeah, and, and so this, this gave you nightmares. I'm just trying to imagine the type of nightmares that you had. Just you know, generally being infected. <laughs> yeah, just this infection. bleeding from my eyes. Yeah, <laughs> false prophets, that sort of thing. Oh, gosh, um, yeah. But yeah, they did so... a follow up as well, which was Legacy, which sort of brought Razor Ghoul into it, if I remember rightly. Oh right. Which which was all right, but it didn't have the same impact as Contagion did. Hmm. Um, but yeah, like I say, just yeah, <laughs> just that concept of the fact that you know there could be like some organization out there that releases a, a virus, and then you know we need a Batman-style hero to to help us overcome it. Well, that's it. And it was sort of a very, German warfare was a very real possibility in sort oh, of right, yeah. mid to late nineties kind of thing. It was sort of every so often it would crop up on the news kind of thing. It was just, yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, really, really touched a nerve. <laughs> it's just like, you know, if, if I'm going to be blown up or something, at least hopefully it'll be quick. But yeah. to be infected and not know I'm infected or that I'm infecting other people, kind yeah, of thing, it's, it's, it's all horrible. So, yeah, that's fun. We should have done the funny one after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on to a more positive light, um, you, you think, so what's the most meaningful comic to me? Uh, for me... Um, it's Strange in Paradise by Terry Moore. Um, and the reason is, is it's another one that was sort of thrust into my hands by my comic dealer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by dealer. Yes. <laughs> he very much knows what he is. He's a pusher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, the first one's free. <laughs> so, have a look at this. Oh, well, I sign you up to all of them. Um, but I was making a film at the time. Um, okay. Nothing exciting, sort of. I'd read some watched all of Kevin Smith's films and read a couple of books and thought that's something I really want to do. I've got all these stories and no way of telling them kind of thing. Cause again, comics still seemed a million miles away. It seemed easier to make a film than it did to create a comic. Mm. So we sort of, I wrote a script and then part of the thing in the script was that there was a particular comic issue that the main character was looking for. Right. And it was a DC, it was an Azrael title at the time. So I, messaged dc and was like look this is a key thing in it i'm not expecting anything back but you know what kind of clearance do i need for this and they were like just no oh, right. <laughs> they're like just go away small fry person we will sue your ass off if you attempt it I was oh, like, ah. so i was talking to the guy in the comic shop and he's like why don't you try this strangers in paradise thing and like you know purely from a ooh, this could work to my advantage kind of thing mm. i took it i read it and genuinely loved it and then bought all the back issues he had and then started trawling comic cons to find the rest and built up a collection and just emailed terry Morms just like look you don't know me i'm not mental or anything but 
me and a group of friends have taken a month off work and we're going to make this film set in a comic shop and the character's looking for a particular comic. And um, I picked one that had a really visually pleasing cover that was the two main characters silhouetted on a beach. Mm. I was like, can I use this as a thing? And he just replied with like, I'm always up for free publicity. <laughs> awesome. Because um, again, he's a small press sort of guy. I mean, he's got a big distribution mm. through, you know, big compared to other small press people mm-hmm. through Diamond, through his abstract studios and uh, had the success of working on other things to, to go off the back of. Um, but yeah, he was just really nice, really supportive. He ran a few ads for the film in the comic. Oh, right. So if That's you pick cool. up some back issues of Strangers in Paradise, you might see my film poster in it. Okay, and um, what's it called? The film was called Finding Strangers in Paradise. Finding so we had to read the title because right. the title was right. referred to the DC thing as well. Um, right. But yeah, and he was just really good. And ever since then, I was just kind of, you know, that's a guy who didn't need to throw some support, you know, or even reply mm. to, you know, some kid with a dream in Gloucester, England kind of thing, <laughs> making a silly little movie that probably wouldn't and turned out not to go anywhere kind of thing. But he did, and he was really supportive. And then when the film was done, I sent it to him, and he sent back kind words. And he sent an email before we were due to start shooting, just wishing us good luck. I was like, that's uh, just. So I was like, I will buy anything with your name on it from now on. Well, <laughs> um, and yeah, it's, it just genuinely happened that Strange in Paradise is just a great comic. Um, it's a black and white sort of thing, but um, yeah, it's just a stunning romance comic, a beautiful drawer. And he draws, he draws and writes women in a really good way. They're not, yeah. you know, your Amazon beauties. They're very much real sort of women. Mm. And, um, I was lucky enough to interview him for Starburst magazine once. and was just like, you know, how do you approach writing women being, you know, a man? And he's like, <laughs> I, just, I just write characters. I don't think of them as women or men. I just, yeah write them for what they need to be and it's just fortunately worked out for me kind of thing i was like yeah i didn't think of that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> just like, it sounds so obvious now you say it i feel like i've asked a really stupid question <laughs> nah, not at all because it, it's curious because i guess when you've never kind of you know written um at length um or gone into like major detail being a major success with such a story it's it's difficult to think is is there a specific technique that you need to do that but that's it. And just like I say, it's just a genuinely nice person. Sort of my first dealings with the wider comic book community outside my little long box of comics mm. that was genuinely supportive. And um, he was very supportive when we started True Believers as well, because I just emailed him. I was like, look, you'd be like one of my dream guests. What's the possibility? And he's like, look, I'm not going to lie to you. Cost wise, it probably won't be worth it for me or you kind of thing but i really wish you well with it and if you get to the point where we can work something out uh we will but you know at the moment i'm busy with everything and you don't need the hassle of trying to get somebody over from america when when you're trying to find your feet kind of thing and uh you know it was a rejection in a nice way that was full of support it wasn't just like ignoring the email or just being like what do you meant yeah like go away crazy person <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Uh, but that's that's very very nice for him and maybe one day yeah well that's it i mean we've got plenty of time so yeah and, exactly. you know, it's, i'm just happy he's still churning out comics for me to yeah. devour on a monthly basis 
Nice. Um, and just for just for the listeners, because you, you spoke a little bit about the art and uh, the fact that it kind of is the story centers around women, but um, kind of what's the what's the setting of the story of Strangers in Paradise? It's sort of two childhood friends. Um, the one girl's in love with the other girl, but she's in a relationship with another guy. I'm not going to explain it very well at all, but it then sort of goes into this deeper world of like organized crime and it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go kind of thing. Cool. And um, it's basically them. Then they meet another guy called David who lives with them for a bit and it's just their friendship. And it's, it's the friendship's done really well. And there's some, it's another one that was on my contender for saddest comic. Because there's some genuinely heartbreaking moments in it. It's also genuinely funny as well. It sort of ticks all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a, a wonderfully written comic, and he's sort of done other ones since. And now he's his next series that he's doing is a ten issue miniseries that ties all of the worlds he's created together, or all of the stories he's created together. They're all in the same world, Thank so you God. always had slight hints at it. But now he's sort of doing his Avengers Assemble kind of. Mm-hmm crossover thing i think it's called five years i think it starts in may because he's just done his 25th anniversary 10 issue miniseries for uh, strangers catching up with the characters after the series ended Mm -hmm. um so yeah so now he's doing that as well but yeah i just genuinely love his work and uh like i say helped by knowing that he's a nice guy but the work speaks for itself. He could be a complete arsehole, and I'd still like the work. So. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> he isn't a complete arsehole. <laughs> yeah, thankfully. Very much so. Um, and so, uh, moving on from Strangers in Paradise, uh, you start to think about what's the most underrated comic? This one was a tricky one, because, um, I mean, the blanket answer is all small press comics. Hmm. Because as you. well received as they are, in the, yeah, I, I got your email. Sorry, what I meant to say was <laughs> uh, Milford Green. I've got <laughs> perfect answer. Moving on, um, but no, um, sort of all small press comic it was, does really well on the community, but we're sort of trying to break that glass ceiling of getting it out beyond. So I, I think you know it's both underread and underappreciated mm-hmm. as a whole thing, and it's kind of its own. Although it's lots of people individually self-publishing, it is kind of its own publisher. It's probably like, yeah. if you put it all together, it'd probably be one of the third biggest <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> publishers in the world kind of thing. But um, it's certainly, and I mean, it is, when people say talk about the uh, British comics industry, small press is the British comics industry. Yeah. You've got 2000 AD and you've got the small press indie comic circuit. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just such a great thing of creativity but if you're going to make me pick a particular title mm. which i know you are because you came at me with a hammer uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'd probably say again i don't think it was underappreciated because it was pretty well received from everything i remember but i don't know how well read it was but um sleeper by ed brewbreaker and sean phillips cool um just kind of like a superhero spy noir thriller kind of thing um it ran in it's one of the DC imprints, uh, Wildstorm. That's it. Um, and that was sort of at that time when I was experimenting with non-superhero stuff. I picked up too much Coffee Man. I picked up Strangers in Paradise, and I'm starting to realise that there was a wider world of comics out there, kind of thing. Um, even just coming from DC with their various imprints. So yeah, I sort of picked that up on the whim. I loved the first cover. 
Uh, yeah, bought both. It ran as two seasons of comics, 12 issues in each, I think. And uh, Yeah, and it was the first one that I was sort of broached with the people I was working with, of kind of like, do you ever read a comic kind of thing? Right. Just, well, like superhero stuff. It's like, no, no, read Sleeper. So I bought my friend a trade and got him into comics that way. And uh, Yeah, it was just sort of, it, it felt grown up to read. I mean, I was about... Mm-hmm. 20 odd probably at the time so was technically a grown-up myself but <laughs> just yes so it was sort of um the first sort of comic that didn't feel like it fell into that these are kids books kind of thing yeah um and then from that i went down fell in the rabbit hole of my friend was like if you like that you should read hellblazer yes. oh, right yeah and yeah sort of fell down that line and then yeah, sort of got into the more adult Vertigo, Sandman sort of stuff for a bit. You know, when you're trying to be a edgy 18, early 20s kind of year old. Sure, of course. Go all out on gaming. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I think that's just a rite of passage. <laughs> it is. It is, definitely. Awesome. And um, you were saying that, so Sleeper, um, for, for any listeners that don't know, it's a, it's a superhero noir yeah, they've got superpowers, but they're not like costumed heroes. Yeah, like he wears a leather. The main guy is uh, called Holden, because I um, went to Bristol Comic Con in two thousand and four, I think it was, and Sean Phillips was there, and okay. it was when he would just come off Catwoman. So everybody was asking him to draw Catwoman. I was oh, like, right. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to ask him yeah. to draw Holden. And then I got up to him, and he was like, "Who do you want me to draw?" And I was, my name, the name just went completely from my head. So I had this really horrible moment where I stood in front. Oh, of him. No. Sean Phillips just be like uh, uh, the guy from Sleeper he's like Holden I was like yes Holden and he's like alright mental bloke here we go and that was sort of the first sketch commission I ever got and that was when I was like this is really exciting this is so much more exciting than just getting some guy from Star Wars to sign a picture yeah which I've never done because I've always looked like really 20 quid now nah. <laughs> <laughs> not into that but, but actually watching the artist draw it there and then is incredible that's it, and it was my first one, so I was kind of like really fascinated watching you draw this, but at the same time, I don't want you to think I'm like scrutinizing everything you're doing, so it's like watch casually kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, like twiddle your thumbs. And... That's it. So I was talking, Andy had got with me, so I was talking to Andy and my wife while he was drawing it, but just kind of like trying not to intensely stare at him. Yeah. But it was just so fascinating watching an artist just sort of like, you know, for want of a better term, just bang out a character he's drawn loads of times just on the spot kind of thing. So if somebody comes to me and is like, oh, can you draw this for me? It's like, yeah, that's going to take me about 50 attempts before I'm satisfied with <laughs> <laughs> even putting it out there kind of thing. But it's just, yeah, it's just such fasc- such a fascinating thing to watch it and to, you know, to see the pencil lines on it and where he's gone over it in ink. Yeah. And, uh, uh, oh, yeah. So just... cool. So, yeah, everybody uh, go check out Sleeper. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I think you can get it in a complete volume now, but it was available as okay, two cool. seasons. They did mm. season one as 12 issues and then season two as 12 issues. Okay, yeah, so it's a 24-issue run. Yeah. Is it a sleeper? That's great. Awesome. Um, and so we come to uh, the most difficult question, and that is, for you, what's the best comic of all time? Uh, see, this is one I pondered on for a while. it's like what is the best comic and then i sort of hit up on the simplest answer which it's superman number 82 because it was the first comic i bought that got me into collecting comics amazing it was the comic that made me fall in love with the medium and for that reason it's the best comic to me i kind of 
this is one of those questions where you can be like, oh, what's the best comic? And you can see it a lot when you re- see people recommending comics to non-comics readers. Is They'll usually fall back on things like Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns. And then you'll hear them spew off a load of stuff about uh, why it's the greatest comic in the world. And it's kind of like, this is, isn't your opinion. This is, you know, it's partly your opinion, but you're also throwing in stuff you picked up from sound bites and yeah. anything Video written up days. about something. <laughs> and for me... I'd much rather listen to somebody be like, I think the best comic in the world is Fantastic Four 15, for example. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's not really a particularly key issue kind of thing. It's like, no, but it's the one that I first bought. It's the one I treasured. It's the one I loved. It's the one that made me go back and buy issue 16 and sure. try and find 1 to 14 kind of thing. And that's what that was for me. I was on holiday in Mallorca with my parents. Oh, right. And they had one of those Mallorca News, which is an English-language newspaper yeah. That they print over there that catches you up on the world's news. And just on the back page was a picture of the foil edition cover of Superman sort of dropping down with the cyborg Superman's face in the background. We were just back for good, and it was like Superman back from the dead. I was like, that's really interesting. It's like, I know they'd killed him, and it didn't really interest me that they killed him, weirdly. Yeah. But it's like, because I was like, oh, they've killed him, that's a shame. But, you know, Superman is no more kind of thing. And because I wasn't reading comics, I didn't follow what was going on at the time. Um, and then I just saw this thing saying they brought him back from the dead. And I was like, that's really interesting how they'd done that. So as soon as I kept the newspaper, I still got the newspaper. I really, that is <laughs> the, awesome. the collector in me couldn't part with it. So I still got oh, it in, in the shed with all my comic stuff kind of thing. Oh, wicked. And um, yeah, I sort of ventured into the comic shop in Gloucester, which was nerve wracking in itself. So I was kind of, I don't know what's behind these. Because this is back in the days when comic shops had their windows blacked out. They weren't the bright open spaces they are now. They were very much a kind of like, make sure nobody's looking and run in quickly. (laughs) And uh, that sort of thing. And I had no idea what was in that world beyond kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'd hear stories at school about, oh, don't go in that shop. Yeah, sure. It's (laughs) a mystery. But I just had to get this comic. I loved the the cover picture, which was, um, I think it was a Dan Jurgens cover. Dan Jurgens cover. And, um, yeah, I just loved the art and I loved the idea of Superman coming back to life. And I was like, I just really got to know how it happens kind of thing. Yeah. So I bought it and I read it and it's sort of, it's the very end of the reign of Superman. So Superman's already back to life, but he's not Superman yet. Mm. And it ends with him Still becoming Superman. Suit. Yeah. Donning the costume and sort of going back to the world. I was like, I've got to know what happens next, but I've also got to know what happened before. And I sort of got yeah. caught in this perfect storm of Superman with that, um, Lois and Clark was just about to start on telly. I was well, great. So I got massively into that. Um, I loved the Christopher Reeve Superman film as a kid, and one of the first comics I ever bought was a Superman one, which is the only comic I ever kept from when I collected as a kid. And it was just part of issue two of John Byrne's Man of Steel run. Right. And I had that folded up in my pocket. I used to take it to school in my bag. I read it. It was the only one I would never swap. Mm-hmm. I poured over it and I drew it and I reread it and I drew it and I reread it. I'm amazed it's in as good condition as it is kind of thing. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I had all these Superman memories flooding back and then the Dirt Mags radio series was on. And I just sort of started to devour everything I could. I didn't read The Death of Superman until about a year later. I took save up my money to buy the trade. Ah, uh, right, yeah. Which was only about five six quid something like that but at the time when you're trying to save up your pocket amazing (laughs) but yeah it it was early sort of mid early 90s kind of thing so 
So, you know, that was a lot of money then, kids. <laughs> oh, straight up, that's... Especially when you're about 13 and didn't have a job, so you're just sort of scrounging 50p's whenever they got thrown at you by your parents. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so Superman 82, like I say, it started me on the collection. It really cemented my love of Superman to this day. That's, even though I strayed away from Superman and did the angsty teen, early 20s, you know, I only read dark comics now. And I think I always sort of come back to Superman. It's just like I say, that's that's my key issue that's the genesis of everything for me comics and that's sort of what set me on this path to be an a comics fan to you know being so passionate about the medium and that sort of thing and that's why for me that's the best comic awesome of all time great um and so um you've got all of these comics in your backpack um and you your wife the family um, you've kind of had to stop for the night um, and you need to get a fire going um, and your wife has persuaded you that we're going to have to burn the comics but you're allowed to keep one uh, which one from that list do you keep? I'm pretty sure one of my kids is flammable can't we burn one of them? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I mean nothing against my kids I love them to bits but the comics came first too <laughs> <laughs> <See>, right <laughs> um this is a really tough one because it's between Too Much Coffee Man and SIP, partly because they're both omnibus editions, so they've got some weight to them, so I can use them as a weapon. Yeah, exactly. Um, see, I'm really torn on this one. You're going to make me choose between the two, aren't you? You have to. Only uh, one. There can be only one. Come on, Highlander. It's got to be Too Much Coffee Man, purely because go. it's got the story in it of him creating and selling the comics. So I kind of think when the world rebuilds... Cool. We've got an analog version of how to create comics again, and then I can write *Strangers in Paradise* and pass it off as my own. Boom! Which smart? Because that's also ingrained, in my, and I can create Superman <laughs> as well. All of it. So, because I'm also torn between, you know, I'm, I'm throwing away the best comic in the world. I'm going to have to assume <laughs> that somewhere a comic shop survived, so I can re-get it at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll be you'll you'll be able to pick it up somewhere. Um, it's just that, that that coffee in particular is just going to gonna have to fry i'm afraid damn it you're a, you're a cruel man <laughs> i am i am i'm a terrible uh apocalypse grandmaster um but uh also as well as uh having too much coffee man um you're allowed a weapon tool or useful item for your apocalypse right i've thought about this and i thought about going down the terminator route of uh sure finding one and reprogramming to be a good guy but I haven't got time for that, all the skills. So I figured yeah, what I need, <laughs> I need Jeff Goldblum's laptop from Independence Day. Brilliant. Because if that can take out an alien invasion, it should be able to take an AI sentient army of robots out Bingo. with one computer virus. I might need Jeff Goldblum as well, but... Yeah, we can probably sort that out. I figured so... he'd find me eventually. It's just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's kismic. <laughs> it's meant to happen. Amazing. So, so and I've got uh, my too much coffee man omnibus that I can smash some robot heads in with as well. As well. So that's sorted. I mean, so the only downside is that Jeff Jeff Goldblum and anyone. his laptop. I think it's the only way. Definitely, it's the only way that you're gonna gonna destroy all of the uh, the robots. I reckon the, the robot uprising. What's it? And if you can't trust the film Independence Day, what can you trust in this world? I know it's uh, it's the gold standard. Exactly. 
It's the Goldblum standard. <laughs> the Goldblum standard, that's what I should have said. <laughs> nice, Stuart. Nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse, Stuart. Um, it's uh, It's been a real pleasure uh, getting to know you a bit more because uh, we, we only kind of cross paths a little bit at True Believers. Um, and, of course, we kind of speak via email now and again. So it's, it's nice to actually have a long conversation with you. I say, and this is the best way to get to know people by talking about comics. Straight up, yeah, it does. It's like, it gives you a good insight. It's like your politics; they don't matter so much. It's like what what you like is what <laughs> <laughs> what, what I'm interested in, you know. And yeah, I think it's just it's such a diverse thing as well of yeah. discovering different things and discovering different comics, and you know, being like, "You like that? I like that too." Oh, I've not tried that. I'll go get a copy, kind of thing. And just yeah, building up a library, building up friendships, kind of thing. So yeah, it was it was great. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's quite all right. Um, and for the for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you? Uh, they can find True Believers online at OKTrueBelievers dot com or by searching True Believers or OK True Believers on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I'm not very good on the Instagram so much, but I'm told that's where the young audience is. So. Yeah. And uh, yeah, finding me social media is purely a marketing tool for a lot of it unfortunately um yeah and um you can find me uh i'm at token nerd on twitter where i post up some of my drawing and i've also got a art page which is uh stuart thinks he can draw on facebook and instagram so if you want to feel better about your drawing look at my drawing not at all. <laughs> do yourself a disservice, Stuart. Well, if um, I do it, then people know I've already stolen their thunder kind of thing. Nice. It's very difficult to tell somebody they suck if they've already said it. <laughs> True. But um, have you, have you, apart from uh, True Believers uh, next year, do you have anything else coming up at all? Uh, nothing. I'm tabling at Nottingham Comic Con at the end of the year, right. October. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have a table there with... Tales from Beyond Infinity, which is our anthology comic that we put out. We've got two so far, and yeah, hopefully it'll be a yearly thing. Great, so, and yeah, yeah, people can find that on the OK True Believers. Yeah, it's on the website. website. If you click on Tales from Beyond Infinity, you can buy both right. issues on there. And yeah, then it's just the mailer every week and the podcast every month, ish. <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not organised and weekly like some people. <laughs> try my best um but uh yeah oh, that's great um and uh, for people um if you if you missed any of that you can you can go to the show notes and all the links will be there for you just to click on i probably spoke really fast through that i'm terrible at giving out links oh it's all good that's what the show notes are there for um so yeah go go, go check out those show notes peeps um and again Stuart, um thank you so much for your time today um and it's been a pleasure getting to know you absolute pleasure really enjoyed it thank you fantastic see you soon see ya bye bye thanks again to Stuart for being on comics for the apocalypse it truly was terrific if you enjoyed the show please leave a review for us on itunes or whichever podcast service you use as not only will let me know that you liked it but i believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well if you'd like to check out Stuart's work or follow him on social media those links are in the show notes along with all of our own links to the various areas of the internet. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.